Well, good day and welcome to the Climate Report here on Earth Day. Broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. While our first story has been covered multiple times in multiple outlets, we're just going to give it a slight climate change twist and remind folks that California has pledged an additional half a billion dollars to battle the threat of wildfire season this year. The state's governor, Gavin Newsom, along with Senate and Assembly leaders, announced the new plan earlier this month near Shaver Lake. That's a small town in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas that was devastated by the Creek Fire last fall. Last year, the state saw one of the worst fire seasons on record. Four of the five largest fires in state history scorched the state, even as it was reeling from the coronavirus pandemic. Nearly four million acres burned, 31 people were killed, and more than 10,000 buildings were destroyed or damaged. Global heating is triggering hotter, drier conditions in California and propelling bigger, more destructive blazes. At the announcement, the governor said, quote, If you don't believe in climate change, if you don't believe in science, then believe in your own damn eyes. Unquote. The new plan will include several hundred million dollars in funds to improve forest management efforts and thin out vegetation. An additional tens of millions of dollars extra will fund grants to help homeowners make their properties more fire resistant. And the governor also referenced the importance of embracing prescribed burning techniques, which were practiced by California tribes for centuries before European settlers banned the practice. Fire is a natural and necessary part of the state's natural ecological landscape, but for years, rather than embracing any beneficial fires, California suppressed them. Along with climate change and droughts, a buildup of that overgrowth in vegetation has helped fuel extreme mega blazes. Well, the governor said that all this firefighting and mitigation efforts are in addition to the state's many long-term efforts to fight climate change impacts. Well, in news media reporting on news media reporting on the climate crisis, an interesting new global initiative has taken place and coalesced around the name Covering Climate Now. It's a global consortium of up to 400 newsrooms that are all agreeing to tackle the climate crisis like the emergency it is. This announcement came from The Guardian earlier this week, and it says, The climate emergency is here. The media needs to act like it. When the world shut down last year, there was one big beneficiary, the planet. With travel ground to a halt, emissions fell 10% in 2020. But we haven't kept up the momentum. As economies reopen, carbon emissions are expected to surpass pre-pandemic levels in the coming months. We are in an emergency. California is on the brink of drought, prompting fears of a new wave of devastating megafires this year. Make the planet's tropical regions unlivable for humans and animals. Yet, 
A Guardian investigation recently found that only a small number of major countries have been pumping rescue funds into a low-carbon future. Well, two years ago, The Guardian announced it was changing the language it uses to talk about the environment, eschewing terms like climate change for the more appropriately urgent climate emergency. Today, we are joined by others in the news industry, organizations that recognize that a global catastrophe is already here, and that without immediate action, it will get unimaginably worse. These organizations are all part of what's being called Covering Climate Now, an initiative founded in 2019 by the Columbia Journalism Review and The Nation, with The Guardian as a lead partner. And this initiative is put together to address the urgent need for stronger climate coverage. More than 400 newsrooms from around the world, with a combined audience nearing 2 billion people, have joined Covering Climate Now. Ahead of Earth Day on April 22nd, The Guardian, Covering Climate Now, and all of its partners will elevate the climate crisis by publishing stories around the theme, Living Through the Climate Emergency. We will open our climate coverage for partners, some of whom don't have dedicated climate reporters, in order to republish our news stories. And we will host a curated collection of climate stories from our partners on The Guardian's website. To kick off the week, a number of outlets have joined together to declare what has long been evident. The climate emergency is here. Our statement is below. We invite all of our colleagues in the media industry to join us. And certainly we here at the Climate Report on KVMR join in this Covering Climate Now initiative in order to give our listeners the sense of urgency that this topic deserves. Here is the statement that was issued at the beginning of this Earth Day week from Covering Climate Now. It says, The planet is burning. It's time for journalism to recognize that the climate emergency is here. This is a statement of science, not politics. Thousands of scientists, including James Hansen, the NASA scientist who put the problem on the public agenda in 1988, and David King, and Hans Schnellenhuber, those are the former science advisors to the British and German governments, respectively. Thousands of scientists, including these, have said humanity faces a climate emergency. Why emergency? Because words matter. To preserve a livable planet, humanity must take action immediately. Failure to slash the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will make the extraordinary heat, storms, wildfires, and ice melt of 2020 now routine and could render a significant portion of the Earth uninhabitable, warned a recent Scientific American article. 
Well, the media's response to COVID-19 provides a useful model. Guided by science, journalists have described the pandemic as an emergency. They've chronicled its devastating impacts. They've called out disinformation and told audiences how to protect themselves. We need the same commitment to the climate story. As partners in Covering Climate Now, a global consortium of hundreds of news outlets, we will present coverage in the lead-up to Earth Day, April 22nd, around the theme, Living Through the Climate Emergency. We invite journalists everywhere to join us. This statement was signed by Covering Climate Now, Scientific American, Columbia Journalism Review, The Nation, The Guardian, Noticias Telemundo, Al Jazeera, Asahi Shimbun, and La Repubblica. So, listeners, we can expect there will be more media focus on the climate. You can still count on the climate report for your special news here on KVMR, but this is great news that covering climate now is drawing together 400 different news organizations with a reach to 2 billion different listeners worldwide in order to address the climate emergency. Well, the next news article has to do with what a lot of people are going to be reporting on today for Earth Day, and it is the international summit that was convened in Washington, D.C. by U.S. President Joe Biden. In advance of the festivities where political speeches will be made, 101 Nobel laureates called for a global fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty to be signed. These included the Dalai Lama, plus 100 other Nobel laureates. And they're asking governments to sign a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty to help tackle the climate crisis, similar to how a nuclear weapon non-proliferation treaty was signed to help save the world from that crisis. In an open letter to world leaders published just yesterday, Former presidents, scientists, novelists, and religious leaders are urging governments to commit to a rapid and just transition away from fossil fuels and embrace a transformational plan to ensure everyone around the world has access to renewable energy. In their open letter to world leaders, they state climate change is threatening hundreds of millions of lives, livelihoods across every continent and is putting thousands of species at risk. The burning of fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas is by far the major contributor. The signatories are experts, global experts, in the fields of peace, human rights, security, economics, natural sciences, and literature. And they all say that they are, quote, seized by the great moral issue of our time, the climate crisis, and the commensurate destruction of nature. The letter adds, the solution is clear. Fossil fuels must be kept in the ground. Leaders, not industry, hold the power and have the moral responsibility to take bold action to address this crisis. The letter which comes before a key international climate conference to be held in Glasgow later this year, 
calls on world leaders to end any new expansion of oil, gas, and coal production, to phase out the existing extraction of fossil fuels in a fair and equitable way, and to invest in a transformational plan to ensure 100% access to renewable energy globally. Well, this call is being backed by environmental campaign groups and think tanks from around the world. In a letter of support being sent to political leaders, they write that the demands from the Nobel Prize winners echo the call of billions of people around the world for fast and fair action on the climate crisis. Well, the idea of a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty was first raised by Andrew Sims from the New Weather Institute back in 2018. Sims said that so many Nobel Prize winners from the fields of chemistry, physics, medicine, and peace publicly support the principles for this fossil fuel treaty shows it's an idea whose time has come. It's a proposal that makes meeting climate targets easier by drawing a line in the sand of no further fossil fuel exploration and production. It it rapidly advances renewable energy alternatives, and it does so with equitable global mechanisms to ensure fairness. Well, naturally, the top news today in regards to the climate and Earth Day is the gathering of political speeches and political leaders in Washington, D.C. And while so far the science and math to date shows that political speeches haven't done anything to solve the climate crisis, that's not stopping them from getting together and making more speeches. So here is the news on today's speeches from Washington, D.C. It says here that uh, Joe Biden has called upon the world to confront the climate crisis and overcome the existential crisis of our time as he unveiled an ambitious new pledge to slash U.S. planet heating emissions in half by the end of the decade. Addressing a virtual gathering of more than 40 world leaders in an Earth Day climate summit today, Biden warned that time is short to address dangerous global heating and urged other countries to do more. Shortly before the start of the summit, the White House said the U.S. will aim to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by between 50% and 52% by 2030. Biden said the new U.S. goal will set it on the path to net zero emissions by 2050 and that other countries now needed to also raise their ambition. The U.S. president said in a speech opening the gathering, quote, particularly those of us that represent the world's largest economies, we have to step up. Let's run that race, win a more sustainable future than we have now, and overcome the existential crisis of our time. Biden said that a shift to clean energy will create millions of good-paying union jobs, unquote, and that countries that act on the climate crisis will reap the economic benefits of the clean energy boom that's coming. He said this is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. Time is short, but I believe we can do this, and I believe we will do this. Well, the Biden administration has also outlined a new plan to double the amount of funding that the U.S. gives to developing countries struggling to adapt to the ravages of drought 
flooding and other climate impacts created primarily by developed wealthier countries. Other wealthy countries and the private sector should shift financing away from fossil fuels towards clean energy, Biden said in his speech. He said, quote, this moment demands urgency. Good ideas and good intentions aren't good enough. We need to ensure the financing is there, public and private, to meet the moment on climate change and help us seize the opportunity for good jobs, strong economies, and a more secure world. Well, a procession of world leaders then followed Biden, with Xi Jinping, president of China, urging countries to, quote, be committed to harmony between man and nature and stating that China will peak its emissions more quickly than other major economies. Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, stressed the importance of financial aid for countries most vulnerable to the climate crisis, and said that cutting emissions wasn't just a, quote, expensive, politically correct, green act of bunny-hugging, unquote. Substantive new announcements came from Japan, with their Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga revealing that Japan will slash emission, emissions 46% by 2030. That's an increase on their previous commitment. South Korea, meanwhile, committed to not financing any more overseas coal projects. Canada also upped its goal to a 40-45% to 45% reduction in emissions by 2030. Well, China, now the world's largest carbon polluter, has expressed some skepticism over the United States' return to the climate fold. But the White House is confident that America retains its clout. Said one White House official, this new target gives us significant leverage to push for climate action abroad. Every ton of reductions achieved in the United States has a multiplier effect in inspiring climate action overseas. Well, faced with the task of Coming up with an ambitious but feasible goal, the new U.S. target does not even match that of the U.K. nor the EU. But it is still among the strongest pledges to date. Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the U.N., said that a 50% reduction by the U.S. was needed to help stop the planet slipping into a climate abyss with scientists warning that the world must slash emissions in half by 2030 if it is to curb calamitous heat waves, wildfires, floods, and social unrest. The Biden administration has reiterated it wants the U.S. electricity grid to run on 100% clean energy sources such as solar and wind by 2035 in order to meet its current goals and it has framed an explosion in renewable energy and electric car production as a boon to American jobs. Although the Biden administration has shied away, however, from mandating that all vehicles sold in America by 2035 be zero emissions, despite a letter signed from the governors of a dozen states, including California and New York, urging the U.S. president to do so. Said, Flavio Lenaire, a climate scientist at Cornell University, of this new U.S. target, it is very ambitious. Is this new pledge enough? Probably not. 
But this also depends on what other major emitters will also do this decade. Well, the summit will feature an ongoing parade of political leaders and political speeches, including the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, Vladimir Putin, the Russian President, Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India, and Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister of Australia. The gathering will be focused on themes such as clean energy innovation and the importance of oceans and forests, with speakers ranging from Pope Francis to Bill Gates. A constellation of other names surrounds the event, with Greta Thunberg, the Swedish climate activist, telling a U.S. congressional committee that ongoing subsidies for fossil fuels are a disgrace, while the Dalai Lama, along with 100 other Nobel Prize winners, is calling for a phase-out of fossil fuels. Well, today's Earth Day Summit will be just the first in a series of international gatherings, including the G7 and the G20, that will take place ahead of crucial UN climate talks in Scotland later this year. John Kerry, Biden's climate envoy to the world, said that he hoped 2021 will see countries embrace a shift to clean energy in a transformation that rivals the space age or industrial revolution. Kerry told the Washington Post, This is the greatest moment of transformation of our economy in our lifetime. We need to seize it. Some climate activists have said Biden needs to do even more, however. Said Evan Weber, the political director and co-founder of the Sunrise Movement Climate Group, quote, while many will applaud the president's commitment to cut U.S. emissions by at least half by 2030, we have a responsibility to tell the truth. It is nowhere near enough, end quote. Well, Kerry acknowledged that more needs to be done, claiming that the new U.S. emissions target was a way of building back American credibility. Is it enough? No, Kerry said in a White House press conference on Thursday, but it's the best we can do to can begin to move. Well, in our last news piece, we'd like to highlight our own version of Greta Thunberg here in the United States. On the heels of Amanda Gorman, a young person of color, being given a voice during the inauguration, you may soon begin hearing more about Jerome Foster, another young person of color that is being given a voice as part of the White House fight against climate change. This article is in The Guardian, and it says, I'm hopeful. Jerome Foster, the 18-year-old helping to craft U.S. climate policy. The article begins, if a week is a long time in politics, the past year has been an eternity for Jerome Foster. In the opening stands of 2020, the 18-year-old, was holding forlorn weekly protests outside the White House, calling for action on the climate crisis. Now, he has been ushered into the seat of American power to help craft climate policy. In a sign of the growing political clout of the youth climate movement that has blossomed around the world in recent years, Foster has been included among a group of advisors to Joe Biden who will inform the U.S. president on issues related to environmental justice, where low-income communities and people of color face the greatest fallout from climate change and pollution. 
said Foster, who posted a tweet summing up the dramatic upgrade in his influence, I didn't expect this to happen so soon. It was like, wow, this is crazy. It's been a long journey from climate striking in front of the White House for 58 weeks to now working inside of its walls to craft reform. Foster added, I'm the only person under 40 on the whole panel. So when I got there, I was like, am I supposed to be here? But it was their intention to bring in the youth perspective on climate change. I was a bit startled at first, but now I'm getting used to it. It's a remarkable personal journey for the teenager. A student of computer science in New York City, who in early 2019 started solo protests in front of a White House occupied by Donald Trump, a president who routinely mocked climate science and dismantled dozens of regulations aimed at reducing planet heating emissions. Every Friday for 58 weeks in a row, Jerome Foster would stand near the perimeter of the White House in Lafayette Square, brandishing a placard that read, School Strike for Climate, an invocation of the global school strike movement sparked by Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg. Foster said Thunberg, who joined him for a protest when she visited the U.S. two years ago, has changed the entire conversation about climate change. For the first month or so, it was a lonely experience beyond the encouragement of the odd, sympathetic European tourist, before Foster was joined by an unlikely ally. Foster said, The second person to join me was a Trump supporter. It was wild because he was just walking past, yelling and cursing at me that it was all a hoax. The two started talking, and the older man, who used a walking cane, acknowledged he was concerned about plastic pollution in the nearby Chesapeake Bay. Foster said he didn't understand CO2 because he couldn't see it himself, but he understood how plastic pollution was a major impact on the climate crisis. He actually joined me, but only for 10 minutes. He felt embarrassed because his friends there were mad at him, yelling at him that he'd joined the dark side. While Foster is not quite as starry-eyed over a great bipartisan coming together on the climate crisis as he once was, however, from the age of five, he was watching nature documentaries, becoming increasingly alarmed over environmental destruction, a concern that his parents, civil rights organizers who helped the Million Man March on Washington in 1995, helped the young man channel. Foster said, a sort of fire was lit inside of me. My parents always told me that you can't just sit there and mope or be angry. No one is going to care. You have to actually do something. Well, it wasn't until the election in 2016 that Foster's concerns were sharpened and became more political. He said, I was in middle school when he was elected, and now I'm in my first year in college, so my entire high school was defined by Trump. I didn't pay attention to the 2016 election. I wasn't political then, but... After the election, I understood the power and impact of politics. Foster took to Capitol Hill, completing internships with John Lewis, the late congressman and civil rights titan, and the Citizens Climate Lobby, 
a group devoted to developing a sort of bipartisan union between Republicans and Democrats over climate change. But after seeing several climate measures gummed up in a Congress where many Republicans denied basic scientific tenets, and some Democrats were wary of pushing the issue, Foster became frustrated. Well, through all of this, Foster has banded together with other young people, both horrified and incandescent that their futures are being plunged into fiery uncertainty by the actions of their parents' and grandparents' generations. While the youth climate movement has inspired, and perhaps shamed, many older people, Foster hopes the activism will be unnecessary before too long. He said, I talk to other young activists, and every single person has something they did before activism and something they want to do after it. They want to go back to doing what they love to do, to have a career, to be young persons again. No one wants to sit here and beg politicians to do the things that they were hired to do. In 10 years' time, I don't want to still be fighting about clean air and clean water. That's a complete and utter waste of a lifetime. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report on Earth Day, broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's news, you can find the Climate Report on Facebook. Feel free to also email climatereport at kvmr.org.